We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. I just was reminded during the worship of the weight of our salvation. The words lead the worship. Because the words are drawn from the word that is our worship. The weight of God's love is in its quality, not in its quantity. God's love can actually not be quantified. All right. So to qualify that, it will be to, uh, to paint a picture that God loves Jesus terribly. Not to say that he loved Jesus, say, 80%. And that he now loved you 100%. Enough to sacrifice Jesus. God's love is quality, not quantity. Does that make sense? He loves Jesus as his only son. And the quality of his love is such that he risked all he had to bring many sons into glory. Does that make sense? All he had because he fell in love. We are products of God's love affair. We're here because God decided to have an affair. And he gave birth to us of incorruptible seed as by the word of God. So our excitement is constant. Our reality is constant. We're not moved by what happens around us. We're not. And that's what influences everything that we go through. That's what influences our reality. Our reality is influenced by our position. We are the beloved of the Lord. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed. 1 John 3 and 1. Upon us. What is that love? That we should be called the sons of God. So what is the manner of love that has been given to us? Sonship. Are you here? What is the manner of love that has been given to us? Let's see how the TPT puts this. 1 John 3 and 1. Luke would wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. Luke would wonder. He has called us and made us his very own. See the message. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We are called... Do you understand it now? Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us or bestowed upon us that we should be called. So we we being sons of God are proof of his love. Does that make sense? Here's how God shows you he loves you. He makes you a son. How does he make you a son? By giving you his only son. Who is his only son? Yes. What does that mean? That Jesus was the total embodiment of God's love. If the way that you know God loves you is that he has made you sons. Behold what manner of love the father has given to us. That we should be called. How does God show you love? By making you a son. How did he make you a son? By giving his only son. What does that mean about the only son? That is the epitomization of God's love. Because sonship is a proof of love. Does that make sense? So Jesus the Son existed as what? As the total proof or the total embodiment or the total personification of God's ability to love. 
I'll take it again. Behold what manner of love the Father has extended to us. What is that manner of love? That we should be called the sons of God. Right? How has his love been manifested to us? By calling us or adopting us as sons. How did he achieve that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John 3.16. Put it up so they can see it as well. First line of 1 John 3.16. Give us the New King James first. By this we know love because... You see that? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know love. He gave his life. He laid his life for us. So he made us sons as beneficiaries of his love by giving his only son. If God is love, which he is, 1 John 4, the next chapter deals with that. If God is love, which he is, the love of God is captured in totality in his son. Does that make sense? So he loved Jesus and Jesus is his son or it is by his love that Jesus exists as the son. And it is by Jesus that we come into sonship as beneficiaries of God's love. You see why it's called extravagant? Why it's called reckless? Why it's called overwhelming? Love that doesn't make sense? Love that's mind-blowing? And you, as you're sat there, even if you don't feel like it or want to believe it, are the express beneficiary and object of God's love. You are the object of his affection. He's absolutely nuts about you. He thought you worthy to die for. When you were most unworthy. Romans 5, 6. When you were most unworthy. It wasn't at your best that he loved you. It was at your worst. For when we were still without strength. In due time, Christ died for who? Why? Because God fell in love. That's it in the TPT. Romans 5, 6. For when the time was right, the anointed one came and died. To do what? His for hold up. So, what is God's disposition towards sinners? What is God's disposition towards sinners? Why do you want them dead? What is God's disposition towards sinners? Why do you threaten them with hell? Because when he died, there was no church. When he died, there was no righteous person. Everybody was ungodly. Everybody was ungodly when Jesus died. There was none righteous, no, not one. Or not now anymore, then. Then, now there is one righteous. His name is Paul. Only one is okay. What's my business with your righteousness? <laughs> I am righteous. Me. But for he made him who knew no sin to become sin, Second Corinthians 5, 21, that I, I, might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How did I become that righteousness? By Jesus becoming that righteousness for me. 1 Corinthians 1.30. All things. 1 Corinthians 1.30. But of him you are 
in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, became for us righteousness, became for us sanctification, and became for us Listen, if you, that's why I said over and over, if you are not a Christ-conscious believer, you cannot say you are a son of God. Because Christ, in one instance, is your sin. Christ, at the same time, is your righteousness. Whatever he needed to be for you in totality, he was. And he is. Made him only no sin to become sin. So who was your sin? Not who took your sin. He became sin. That's why I said when 1 John says, you confess your sin, is faithful. If you confess your sin, he. <laughs> There's no contradiction in the scriptures. If you confess your because he became sin. For the Lord has laid upon him, Isaiah 53, somewhere 5 or 6 or so. For the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6, there about 5, 6. Let's see, let's see verse 5. For he, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Next verse. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him us all. He took it because he became it. And when he became it and was punished for it, and the punishment was completed, became my righteousness. <laughs> became my sanctification. Became my redemption. Became for me wisdom and power. Because to us who are being saved, 1 Corinthians 1, Christ, 22 or 23. The power of God and the wisdom of God. To the Greeks, foolishness. To the Jews, a stumbling block. 23. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block unto the Greek, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ and to us. It's something to eternally be grateful for yes, sir. Yes, sir. eternally be grateful for he's a good God he's a good God and so as sons of God we cannot afford to be seasonal in our relationship in our love walk we cannot afford to come and delegate your gratitude to the worship team the worship team cannot be thankful to God for you do you understand what I'm saying? The pastor cannot be excited for you. If you're unfortunate, he will excite you and rob you. Because for you to be successfully robbed in church, you must first be excited to the point where your senses are dull. That's why you don't measure the manifestation of the spirituals by noise and gyration. Yes, sir. I am very concerned about ever showing up in a church meeting and sensing or seeing or feeling any work of the flesh at a time that is the manifestation of the spirit. I realize that that's how the church has been compromised over centuries. 
We just think it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. For Paul wrote the things that he wrote and taught the things that he taught to correct and straighten the church so that the church walks worthy of her calling. Not worthy for her calling, but worthy of her calling. Our, our reality as sons of God is not dictated by how you woke up in the morning. It's not dictated by what happened or transpired in your life during the course of the day. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? Over time, we brush things under the carpet. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We'll get over it. We'll get over it. And then it becomes an avalanche that sweeps all of us over. We are Philippians 3.3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. That line is important. Let's see it in the TPT and some of the modern translations. For we have already experienced heart circumcision and we worship God in the power and freedom of the Holy Spirit and not in laws and religious duties. We are those who boast in what Jesus Christ has done and not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. Our confidence can never be in the flesh. For to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Right? I say it all the time. I say it to all and sundry. You will realize and you can attest hopefully that you cannot take away from me the discipline of consistency in my teaching and in my practice. Because that's what a discipler does. A discipler puts himself on the line. Do you understand? A preacher or a star comes and just performs at you and then goes and remains a mystery. You can never grow into the lifestyle of a pastor or preacher or reverend. But a discipler, one who's interested in raising you, becomes the model that you should follow. And that is more difficult than regular ministry. You have no idea. If you don't have a culture that you are known for, you are a hypocrite. You are. But you see, we're still caught up in service and not caught up in the reality of our sonship. The concept of rest hasn't quite dawned on us because we just want to be last minute guys. You want to run around and do stuff. That's not what God has called us to. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That is not what God has called us to. But if we all don't understand that, there will be so many different standards in the house and none of them is off the house. Religion is not going to go out without a fight. They'll go, but they'll go kicking and screaming. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself manifesting the residues of religion while saying that you are in the grace of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Receive what comes from the Spirit of God on your inside. Yes? Don't, don't indulge the flesh. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. Songs are being sung. Sing along. The words are on the screen. It's too fast. Catch the first three lines. Catch the first three words. The next time it's done, you catch the others. Write it down. Google the words. See them on your phone. You're not, you're not sure if it's online. Ask somebody sat next to you. Do you know the words for this song? How can I have it? That's how you show that you're part of a church. Where the treasure of a man is, there his heart also is. That's how you tell you're part of a church. Your attitude reflects honor for your brother and sister. 
Because there's a lot of us who are so off in our attitudes. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. I'm in church. And somehow we're supposed to come and be nice. And one minute you're being rude to them, next minute you want to hug them. There's no honor. There's no consciousness of our righteousness. Now nobody's saying you're not righteous. We're saying, are you righteousness conscious? Because once you know who you are, there's a particular way you carry yourself. There's a way you discharge your duties. There's a way you come across. Does that make sense? Now he emphasizes things over and over to the measure of your growth or lack thereof. A lot of us are walking around with knowledge of the word and no practice of the word. Walking away getting puffed up with knowledge. There's so much yet untaught. You're a student. Calm down. And practice what you're learning. It's not your university degree. The word of God is for application. It's for application. There's a lot of knowledge going on and not a lot of practice going on. And some of us shouting, yes, and yes, sir, and preach, and it's true, are the ones who are the culprits. I'm not saying don't shout and don't affirm. I'm saying, can you practice the word? That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying don't sing and don't dance. I'm saying, can you reflect what you believe? Can you walk worthy of your calling? Ephesians 4.1. Can you be light in dark places? Can you stop doing the religious thing of putting a mood on when you walk into a meeting in church? It's demonic. And then we size the weight of what's going on and determine to, to, to determine your response. You're walking in the flesh. You're walking in the flesh. It's only flesh people that will make us celebrate one praise report above another. Somebody comes and says they rose from the dead. Why? You shout, you scream. You run around. Look at God. Somebody comes and says they've grown in the world and they celebrate growth. And you're like, yeah, yeah. You're a political crowd waiting to be appeased and impressed. That's not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you realized that's what we do? We pick and choose how we respond. Somebody says they got a, a job. Their job came out. They're like, ah. Somebody got visa in a country without having an international passport. Yes! You make noise about it. Somebody got pregnant without ovaries and a womb. Yeah! I'm not, saying it's not, I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm saying your response is carnal. Somebody spoke to somebody for the first time about the gospel and they received light. Yeah, yeah well done. There's so much carnality that's comfortable in church. Some of us have just changed our dressing and haven't changed our, our culture. You just dress more simpler now and more liberal and more, you know, enjoying your liberty. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all there is to your switch, you haven't switched. If that's all there is to your switch, you haven't switched. So you need to grow up. To grow up. You are indulged to a particular degree. You can't be in primary five when we're teaching you one plus one. Teaching you the two times table and three times table because, you know, you're a student, you're a pupil. There's supposed to be evolution in your learning. Are you listening to me now? It's supposed to be what? Evolution in your learning. So don't think that you are, you are in a place where you will, be, you will be pampered. You're not pampering anybody. Why would you leave where it was doing, being done like that? Come to a place where it's not being done and want where it's not being done to begin to do it. Do you want to be important? To sit where you like? you want to do a bit of religion? Because you miss religion. Isn't that retrogression? Just go back to where it is being done. Think about it. No? Because you, you miss certain things. You want certain things to be done. You miss people backing up people. You know some of our churches, a head of department is a god. 
It's like a major in the army. Everybody's running around wanting to have mastery over another human being. It's a slavery mentality. Everybody's looking for somebody to say something and they will jump. Get up. Carry that thing. Get up. Move here. Why were you late? Not gonna Check it. Be honest with yourself, sons of God. Everybody's looking for somebody else to dominate. You are sat with Christ in the heavenlies, far above principalities and powers. They are still making a mess of you and you want to sit over another son of God. Did you hear what I said? The ones you are legally sat over are messing you up and you want to take authority over a fellow son that is co-heir with you. Somebody who is co-heirs with you of the father. You want to dominate them. You haven't gained mastery in spiritual things over those that you have been sat above. So we run around wounding each other, hurting each other, dominating each other, bullying each other, and throwing splashes of righteousness and grace inside it. We have not so learned Christ. I will tell you the truth. Always. Always. We talk to people anyhow. We're not righteousness conscious. We're just quoting the word and winning arguments. Because now you know a few Greek words. Because by now you have, you have managed to sit under somebody that has explained to you how certain things work in scriptures. You're now suddenly totally ungovernable. No one can speak to you anymore. Not even the person who is teaching you. Because if you had honor for your leaders, just looking at the person leading you is enough to help you exemplify your life. That's the whole thing about imitate. It's just honor. So we have a lot of growing to do. A lot of disciplining, buffeting our flesh to do, to walk worthy of our calling. We're not mindful of it. We're saved, we're redeemed, we're sanctified, but we're walking according to the practice of the former man. The former man that you're supposed to have put off according to Ephesians 4 and put on the new man, Christ Jesus. So I come to provoke you again. Don't get comfortable. I come to provoke you again. Don't get comfortable. Be conscious about your reality as a son of God. And also appreciate the fact that your consciousness of your reality doesn't undermine somebody else's reality. Does, does that make sense? You're not the only son of God. You're not the only son. You have no monopoly on grace. No monopoly on sonship. No monopoly on honor. No monopoly on forgiveness. Walk worthy of your calling. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let's walk in the light of our consciousness of Christ. Cut, cut the noise out. Cut out flesh. Empathize with people. Let the heartbeat of God resonate in your heart. After all, that's the church of God that we're imitating. Isn't it? I'll mention things in passing because they're not the message. As they are relevant for where you are at a particular point in your life, they will come, but that's not the message. I stick to the message. Let's stick to the message. If somebody says, God called me, for instance, God called me to, to specialize in marriage ministry. I'm, I might not argue with you, but there's no such place in scripture where we see any of the apostles majoring on a particular flank of life. There's no such place. God calls me to raise 100 billionaires in the kingdom. Paul should have done it once. Jesus should have done it once. In fact, Jesus was foolish. No wonder he was broke and poor. Because a rich young man came to him and wanted to follow him. Rich? Are you following me? Yes, sir. Rich guy. 
came to follow Jesus. Jesus called his bluff. And the guy went away sorrowful, King James said, because he had many possessions. Why did Jesus not make it easy for the guy to follow? Because his riches can help the ministry. Are you here now? Yes, sir. Jesus says, keep the law. The guy says, I've kept it all since I was a child. Okay. You have kept the law. You are perfect in the law. How come you're still rich? Because the law says you should share a portion of all you have with the widow, the poor, the orphans. How come you have so much? You clearly haven't kept the entire law. The guy was like, oh no. I thought the law didn't have to do with my money. I mean, I've kept the law except. And he went away exceedingly sorrowful. And Jesus says, how difficult it will be for the rich to enter the kingdom. He didn't say impossible. He didn't say impossible. It's just difficult. And what determines difficulty? The measure of their yieldedness, them and their wealth. Does that make sense now? Then the next verse says, I say to you, it will be easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why did he not make it easy? Okay, let me preach what this guy will understand. Let me come down to this guy's level. Because once this guy enters the kingdom, ministry will be easy. We'll go from using borrowed donkeys to owning horses and chariots. Do you understand? And in the process, we can now be discipling the rich man small, small. You know, he's comfortable. You know, we're not stressing him so much. He's giving. As he's giving, we are, we're also giving. But we're, not, we're careful not to upset him so much, you know, so the flow can come. Judas would have loved it. Because Judas was the accounting officer. Financial officer, CFO, chief financial officer of Jesus. Judas would have loved it because it's more incoming. <laughs> I've loved it. So we should have seen Jesus organize one outreach to the rich. Or Paul make one reference to having made somebody rich by the preaching of the gospel. At least one reference. At least one. Paul highlights rich people. Who had given their resources for the kingdom. Paul does not highlight anybody he made rich. By the preaching of the gospel. We have one calling. We don't have a multiplicity of callings. All of that is the opinion of men. Paul says in Galatians 4. He says my little children whom I labor. With birth pangs. That who is formed in you. Simple. Simple. That Christ is formed in you. That's the assignment of the church. Not to make you comfortable in your depravity. Not to pamper you so that you don't go off and don't come back next week. There's a standard God has called us to. And I, I won't stop speaking the counsel of God in the light of Christ until it comes to pass. I won't stop speaking. That's the purity of the church of Jesus. Where we come and we don't have to be mindful of each other. Because if I have to watch my back from you, then we are not yet safe as a church. If somebody cannot ask a question and you don't attack the person, we're not yet safe as a church. Think about it though. Why don't you have any form of tolerance? Why are you so stuck up? Why are you looking at someone like, my friend, what rock are you under? Why are you speaking like this? That's the honest question, honest conversation you ought to have with yourself. 
Where have I gotten impatience from? Where have I gotten impunity from? Where have I gotten rashness from? That's when you start to evaluate the weight of your work with God. Does that make sense now? Why are we so in a hurry to show knowledge? Does that make sense? If your growth is not bringing others into growth, you are ungrateful for your growth. Your growth has now become counterproductive. You have now become a terrorist. The church of Jesus Christ that we are imitating is pure. There is no defect or blemish in her. There's none. We shouldn't tolerate it. We shouldn't be comfortable with it. You shouldn't. Don't be comfortable with it. Don't allow anybody make you comfortable with it. Because our allegiance, like I've taught, is to the gospel. Not to people. And a lot of us are quick to disjoint from the center and connect to a part. And then you start to judge how you are being taught because you have become David and Jonathan with somebody else. Because you made a friend. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to say, I can do it like this. I can do it better. If I'm even a preacher, that preaching, eh? Let me hold that mic. The church of Jesus Christ is pure. It's faultless. So we live like the church of Jesus that we are. The church of Jesus Christ excuse the flesh. We're not comfortable with flesh. We should know it and call it what it is. And kill it. Always. Does that make sense? We worship in the spirit. Feel 3-3. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. And have no confidence in the flesh. No confidence at all. If it's flesh, we call it out for what it is and we squash it dead. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? Squash it dead. Don't patronize it. Don't do it. The price for that is great. Amen? Amen. Purity of the church also means that we are deliberate and loud on church discipline. The church of Jesus Christ is loud and deliberate about church discipline. The grace of God, I've said over and over, is not license for nonsense. The grace of God is not license for nonsense. The grace of God is a bondage that frees as it is a freedom that binds. You can do whatever you like, but you cannot. You can get away with anything that you do, but you shouldn't do it. We must teach the gospel for what the gospel is. Paul was not trying to protect their salvation. He was trying to literally protect their sanity and their human survival. Because you can run in grace and kill yourself. And you will die in grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? You drink yourself to stupor. Your lungs pack up. Your kidneys pack up. You die. You're buried. We eulogize you. You wait for us at the resurrection of the dead. We have just killed yourself. Because drinking is not a prerequisite for making heaven or hell. You are just foolish. So let's, and I've said over and over, let us not confuse punishment with consequence. Punishment for sin was born by Jesus. Earthly consequence for certain things you do, you will bear them. Does that make sense? You get drunk, you enter a, a, a road, and a car hits you. It was not the devil. 
When the car hits you, the devil shouted, Blood of Jesus. Jump! Hey! See bad thing that I did not do. Eh? I'm encouraged. You know what I mean? Yeah. Devil will be like, ah, thank you, Jesus. So bad thing can happen, I don't know. <laughs> and angel the demon was about to cross and go and press somebody. As you just see the car hit the party, the demon jump. Yeah! God of mercy. Bring his phone. Take picture. Send to supervising demon. Say, bros. You say, no, no, no. Nobody was after you. Not even, this, not even the devil. It's your foolishness. So in order to preserve sanity, Paul tells them, don't be given too much wine. For some of, for some of us, what I hear is don't dare, dare to drink. You will crease. Me. I'm already so high. So intoxicated. You then introduce alcohol to this body. I'll be worse than that chicken I killed. <laughs> oh, me, I can drink 19%. Nothing will happen. No problem. There are two extremes. Wine intoxication and spirit intoxication. I've chosen mine. Yes, sir. I don't need both. And this high, that high can never produce. Yes, that high can produce. So don't confuse punishment with consequence. Does that make sense? Are your sins forgiven? Yes. The punishment for your sins were taken by Jesus? Yes. Eat and don't brush your teeth. Eat, drink, drink, drink ice cream, take chocolate, don't brush your teeth, don't floss, don't pick your tooth. Just, just have fun. Very soon you will see us chiseling your teeth out. And I hope they do without anesthetic. So you can feel it away. It was for freedom. Christ set you free. Why should I brush? Jesus paid for it. Brush your teeth in the night. Brush your teeth. Take your time and brush your teeth. Oh, I'm free. Who does all say? So yeah. Load yourself up. You, you literally hear your teeth rotting away. You'll be hearing it at night as you sleep. Grr, grr. You see what's happened so uh, pop. <laughs> the middle center up right side of my gum is swollen. What well, I didn't know. I just quarreled with somebody in my yard and then I said, it's a lie. It's a lie. And at that point, Jesus is still Lord. At that point, you are indeed the righteousness of God in Christ. But that cross of that, you're painful to you bear it. Do you understand what I'm saying now? That's why we are called into responsibility to live worthy of our calling. Make sense? Yes, sir. So there's church discipline in the era of grace. There is. In fact, there's no, there's no church discipline in the law because there was no church in the law in the first place. There was just punishment and consequence. That's all. And at some point, if you take somebody's tooth, the, the priest will call you and knock your tooth out. So to avoid that, what they used to do in those days before it gets to the priest, you will remove your tooth. That's what they used to do. Come to the priest and say, well, I knocked his tooth out when we were fighting. This, here's mine. It was eye for eye. It was tooth for tooth. It was life for life. It's no long story. If somebody raped you, today somebody raped you, you didn't shout and scream. That's your husband. In the old covenant. You try to be 22, that's your husband. He will pay 50 shekels to your father and marry you and he's not permitted to divorce you as long as both of you live. Because you didn't scream. 
So you didn't scream, you didn't kick back, you didn't fight. It shows complicity. Or, you shouted, screamed, but it was in the country where nobody could have heard you. Then the guy is going to pay. But in the city, there's no way in the law. There's no way that you would have said you were shouting and the neighbors and the st- you didn't shout the street down. That's your husband. There's nothing like church discipline. So it's actually in, in the grace of God that there are procedures or principles set in place to straighten an erring believer. That's the beauty of God's grace. Because in the law, you don't get straightened. You get taken out. (laughs) Does that make sense? You get taken out. It's in the grace of God. So if you look at church discipline in its real sense, you realize that it's an outflow of God's grace. Do you you understand that now? It's an outflow of God's grace. It's in God's grace and mercy that he chastises you. Whom the Father loves, chastises There's church discipline. Habitual, and this is where I'm coming to, habitual erring believers or members are put out and avoided after multiple correctings. Habitual erring believers or members are are put out after multiple correctings. In other words, there is no place in the New Testament that suggests we must put up with you if you refuse to change. I repeat, there is no place in the New Testament that suggests we must put up with you if you refuse to change. For the third time, there's no place in the New Testament that suggests that we must put up with you if you refuse to change. Hear me clearly. So it is within the jurisdiction and the purview and the remit of the local testament church to discharge anybody who is not consistent with the doctrine we believe. Are you listening to me now? Yes, sir. It's within the purview of the church to discharge whoever is not lining up with what the church teaches. So that you don't think that church is a place where you can do whatever you like and get away with it. It's the ground and pillar of truth. In other words, if life will hold you to any standard of responsibility, it's in the church. Does that make sense? It's in the church. Romans 16, 17 to 18. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause what? Cause what? And contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. And do what to them? What testament? What covenant? In the era of grace. What do you do to them? Verse 18. For those who are such, anyone who's causing offenses, causing divisions, are such. Those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own belly by smooth words. And flattering speech deceive the heart of the simple. Come, let me tell you something. I know they say that in church, but do you know I found out that? I don't even know why they're even overdoing. This Christianity thing is what do. First of all, you're still a Christian. No, I mean, that on me, I can't, I can't push myself. I mean, I don't know what you're even doing there. You're talking about somebody, you're talking to somebody you met in the house of God. Somebody whose spiritual growth you're not responsible for. Somebody going around and causing division. And that, the context of division in chapter and verse 17, includes doctrinal division. Where you start to sow seeds of doubt concerning what is being taught in a house. Does that make sense? And scripture says, Paul says to do what to them? 
Second Thessalonians chapter 3. The church of Jesus Christ is pure. Second Thess 3 from verse 6. Are you sure you're ready for this? <laughs> but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you do what? Wait, 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 wait. Look at the two words withdrawn, brother. That's heavy stuff. This is not, be not unequally yoked. Wait. Very convenient. What, what correlation has light got with darkness? You know, with God and mammon. We know, with, you must not roll with every fellow member in church. Every brother in church must not be your friend. Are you listening to me? I've also always said that you are not taking your faith seriously if you do not pick your allegiances on the basis of kingdom value. I've said it like a madman over and over. Kingdom value, kingdom relevance must be what guides your choice of friends. Must be what guides your choice of a spouse. Not I think he's nice and he's cool. I think she's beautiful and she speaks well. It's their kingdom value. That's the crux of the matter. By the time you see somebody trying to make excuses for an unequal yoke, it's finished. An unequal yoke refers to two things in the Old Testament when Paul, um, God said in, in Deuteronomy 22, do not yoke two different animals together. That's what he was pointing to. It's two-dimensional. Do not yoke two different animals together, like a donkey, you know a yoke, what they used to plow, a farm. So imagine yoking a donkey and a camel together, and then they're both trying to pull a plow to create ridges on the farm. That would be the most uneven ridge, right? So the law says, do not plow two different animals together. Paul refers to that as an unequal yoke with an unbeliever. Make sense? Its other application is an unequal yoke between law and grace. They cannot work together. You can't be doing law and doing grace as it's convenient for you. Does that make sense? Two cannot work together. Amos 3.3 except they be agreed. And truth of the matter is it's not everybody's attitude in church that will be compatible with yours. It's not. You're not under obligation to become everybody's friend because they are your brother. I repeat, you are not under obligation to become everybody's friend in church just because they're your brother. Especially when such a person does not want to put in the effort to build a friendship. Some of you believe that this place is a gathering of ready-made friends for you to harvest for your benefit. I know what I'm saying. I've been around a long time. You don't see fellow sons of God. You see people that potentially you can use and get something. Somebody you can sleep with. Somebody you can borrow money from. Somebody you can cry to and say, I'm in need. So, so some of you have targeted people. You look at this person. This person looks like they have money. In Nigeria, everybody that drives a car has more money than everybody that doesn't drive a car. If only you knew. So you look at someone, you target them, you see the phone they're using. You see what they're wearing. You see how nicely they smell. How they're always smiling. This one doesn't have problem. So my problem will not trouble them too much. My problem will not trouble them too much. Because they always look okay. And then they come and then, you know, we say we're giving 5,000. So when they put up their hand for 10,000, you now mark them on your list. You're laughing, but I know what I'm saying. 
So church becomes unsafe for people to give freely. Because the moment they give freely, somebody else has seen them as the answer to their prayer. So we start to sneak around with giving, even though the New Testament does not teach that. And we start to quote Jesus, not knowing what he was saying. I've talked about this before. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand was saying. But he was not referring to the church. Because if he were, how will Paul know the level to which the Macedonian church gave? How will he know the level to which the Philippian church gave? How will he know that the Corinthian church is not abounding in giving? Does that make sense? He would tell them, seeing as you abound in every other gift, abound in this grace also. Because he was there for the, on, on the records that they were faltering in their giving. Why do we do that? So that nobody can target you and say, ah, you give 100 Gs. Ah, this guy, this guy get paid. Man, is just, just 20 kill. And then you now look and then you now come at the end of the month when you think that person has gotten paid. I was born in church. I know all the tricks in the book. You go to the church WhatsApp group and then poach the person's number. If we're not all in the same WhatsApp group, you will not have that person's number. And then you take the person's number from the church WhatsApp group and send a message to somebody that you have not formed any relationship with and ask them for money. Because the church somehow you think is designed to meet your needs. Even though I've just taught that in the past few weeks, that the church is not designed to meet your needs. You haven't formulated a relationship. You haven't been a blessing to that person. You haven't been of any value to that person. You haven't impacted the person in any way. You haven't even so much as developed a, a relationship to even compliment them. You have a need, you just go through your contact. This one. By the time I try one, two, three, four. Of this kind, of this kind, of this kind, of this kind. That's why a lot of people who are well-to-do avoid your churches. I'm being honest with you. And this is why, listen to me carefully, this is why the gospel is suffering. Because people can actually do what the church needs. But they've been warded off by all the nonsense that happens with church members. So somebody cannot come in and be comfortable without feeling threatened and exploited. I'm not saying don't give. I've taught about giving in this house. I've taught about giving to the saints in this house. Especially of the same household. So I'm not saying that don't give. I'm saying you don't be exploitative. If you're constantly exploitative, your heart is in the wrong place. If you're always the one that's taking, your heart is in the wrong place. If you're always the one that is in need and are never in a place to give, you are a fraud. There's dignity in labor. Take a bag of water, sell it, you get 100%. Turn it over again and again. So if you're constantly leeching off of someone, ectoparasiting off of someone, you're not of the church of Jesus. Everybody's quiet now. But this is the facts and the truth of the gospel. So such people, we have a right to mark you. You are always in need. Always in need. Whenever you are in need, you think church will fix it. Meanwhile, what are you? What is your own value? You have a friend and the friend just constantly hollers at you when they have a need. It's time to have a conversation with the friend. Let the friend know, see, I'm evaluating our relationship and the dynamics are not working. I am not with you for what I can get out of you, but somehow you always seem to be the one who is taking. And I'm always the one who is out of pocket when it has to do with you. I don't think it's working anymore. I love you, I respect you, I honor you, but we don't have to be friends. And if the person gets offended and blows you off, you know that's a typical Nigerian. That's typical Nigerian behavior. You benefit from somebody right now. The moment you can no longer benefit from them, you can insult the life out of them. 
that just confirms that you were only with them. It was a blessing to you. You never stop being grateful to them. There's never a point you get to in your life where you feel like you have appreciated somebody enough who was a blessing to you at a particular point in your life. But some of us just take and take and take and take. And what that does is, is when there's actually an emergency or a need that is genuine, some of us are not able to immediately step up to that because you have drained us with your recurring leachy attitude. And that's not the church of Jesus. Every time you are taking, mark those people. What did I say? Second Thessalonians 3 6. Second Thess 3 6. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you, you what? Who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he has received from us. Then Paul starts to enumerate the, the tradition. But let's see, this is the TPT. Beloved brothers and sisters, we instruct you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to from Man, I don't know if anybody understands the weight of this statement. Stay, they are believers. They are not losing their salvation. Neither are we, but we can stay away. And it's not strife. It's not strife. And you're, you're the only one in your heart by the Spirit of God that can determine whether it's not strife. Because some of you might see this as a license to start to cut away from people when you are the problem. Are you hearing what I'm saying? One day, perhaps, you might get to the point where the word of God in you comes alive. So the word of God in you comes alive. And you can pay attention and say, by the spirit of God. The height of maturity and respect and honor is when you call somebody and say, I'm sorry I did something, I said something. And the person has no clue that you did. You said something and perhaps, or you sat somewhere, something was said. And you go back and say, you know what, I apologize. Such and such happened. Or I said this. Or I had this opinion. And I apologize. And the person's like, I have no clue what you're talking about. You're like, yeah, I know. But I just felt I should let this know, known to you. How much more when there is a known beef and everybody's forming standoff and we all come to church and we worship and sing and are in the same queue running around during worship and take pictures together. That'll be what I can put online. Meanwhile, there's no true brotherhood. There's just social affiliations. There's no true, because nobody will hurt a true brother. Nobody will see a true brother as an object of exploitation. Nobody will. Nobody will. Nobody will take, treat the business of a fellow brother lightly. They bring food, 100 plates or 50 plates. They go back with money for 10 or 12. You said you pay next week, you don't pay. You either have money for it or you don't. But all of a sudden, you develop appetite for what you can't afford because it's with your brother. You are antichrist. If you can't afford it, you should have no appetite for it. In other words, you don't have to take a drink I brought to sell just because the drink is there. This is how practical our sonship gets. You don't have to take oil perfume I brought just because it's there. If you went into the shop, you will pay for it or you will go without it until you can afford it. Why are you changing the standards? And you are binding Satan? And you are sat above principalities and powers? And you have become... The principality in church. So people stop making the drinks. People stop making the food. People stop supplying things in church. And we're all in church. And everybody's broken. And the brokenness is as a result of another fellow brother. In church. Is anybody paying attention today? Yes, sir. In church. Everyone is exploiting everybody. 
I'll deliver this tomorrow. You don't deliver it. A brother gives you a contract or gives you a delivery order and you botch it and you don't see any reason. You say, I will do it in two weeks. Two weeks comes and goes. You don't. And you're not moved. First of all, it shouldn't be there. Secondly, when you get there, you should be the one running after this person to say, I am sorry. I know we said two weeks. It's three days to two weeks and it doesn't look like I am able to deliver. Could you please, if it comes to that, give me an extra three days. Make that conversation and not need it. Rather than two weeks comes, you don't deliver, and then you get offended when we are pulling you up. What's wrong with you? Ah, is it because I'm doing something for you? I'm busy, I'll talk to you later. And this is not somebody outside, this is a believer. My, I submit to you that if you are doing this to your fellow believer in church, you are a monster outside. I submit to you without any apology and without any shame. If you can do that to your fellow brother in the same church, outside you are a monster. Outside you are a monster. If you can do that, it means if you do business with somebody that you have nothing at stake with, you will run them over. You run them over. Some of you don't have any goodwill, even in church. You can't tell someone, supply that I'll give you. I give my word. I do everything it takes to keep it. Otherwise, I'm the one telling you, I'm really sorry. I couldn't do this. Please bear with me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Develop integrity. It's goodwill. That's the fruit of the spirit manifesting your reality as a son of God. You can't be a son of God and everywhere you go, people are tolerating you and hoping that you can do and finish. And go, please, let's have peace. You can't do that. Again, I repeat, do not develop an appetite for something you cannot afford. Are you hearing me now, young people? Do not develop an appetite for something you cannot afford. Curb your appetite according to your affordability. You enter a shop, you You pay. You enter a shop when you know you can pay. They stick it on there. Pay before service. On the other side, no credit today. Come tomorrow. When you come tomorrow, tomorrow has become today. Come tomorrow. So if you didn't understand that, that's what the, the sign meant. That's what the sign means. No credit today. Come tomorrow. You come tomorrow, you say, sir, yesterday, you said, <laughs> no credit. Then you realize the, the sign never says, no credit yesterday. Come today. Because today is the tomorrow we talked about yesterday. Today is the tomorrow we were talking about yesterday. No credit today. Come tomorrow. Say yes, you're correct. No credit today. Come tomorrow. If I come tomorrow, will you give me? Yes. <laughs> and then you come and say, tomorrow is here. <laughs> You said if I come tomorrow, yes, the day you can identify a day called tomorrow, then you will receive credit. You walk away. You don't walk into a boutique where they're selling bags. So give me six, I'll, I'll, I'll give you half. Give me the bags, I'll pay you next month. Church, you take the bags, use them. Then you start to make noise. Please, if you are disturbing me, I can bring the bag back for you. I know what I'm saying. I know what I'm saying. I can bring the bag for you. It's not because of bag night. I cannot sleep in peace. But you have done what you needed to do with it. You have inconvenienced the person. You've messed up their capital. And all of this is happening in church. We'll curse it out. We don't think about the cost to the other person. We don't think about the impact to the other person. 
We don't think about the implication to the other person. Everybody's just running everybody else over, exploiting everybody else solely for your own personal benefit. That's not the spirit of Christ. That's not what the grace of God teaches us. The grace of God that brings salvation, Titus 2.11, has appeared to all men, teaching them that fleeing ungodly lost, teaching them to flee, teaching them to depart from, not teaching them to perpetuate, has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live how? Soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Put that scripture back up in, in, in verse 12 in, in the tippity. This same grace, somebody say the same grace. This same grace. Say again, this same grace. This same grace. This same grace teaches us how to live each day. Grace is teaching. Grace is teaching. It teaches us how to live each day. So the, the God of grace and the word of grace is for application for life. To live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles and it equips us to live self-controlled upright godly lives in this present age are you listening to me and like i said in the beginning when i said speaking that's the difference between a pastor and a discipler i will put my life open so you can see and hopefully learn if you're with me sat under me walking close to me and i'm not learning that something's wrong with you something's wrong with you Somebody buys a car, you say, ha, ah, what, what will you give us? You are poor. You will never drive one. What will you give us? Take us out now. How about you say, here's my 500. I want to buy, let's go to the petrol station. Let me celebrate the goodness of God with 500 naira petrol. You have plugged yourself into goodwill and capacity. You see somebody has a new phone. So how we go wash up? Take the number and send the person at time for data to set the phone up. I bought a phone. I don't have money to give you for buying for me buying a phone. Think about I used money, I saved money, or even borrowed money from from those banks that you shouldn't be borrowing money from. Those app app people. <laughs> you, you are calling them like you know them. The way they come after you. You have six months to pay. You bring the phone and say, How, what, what are you going to give up? I bought a phone for my use and my survival. I should not give you money. Because I bought a phone. I took a loan from my office to buy a car. Most of the people you see, they have not finished paying. Yes, sir. They say, ah, let's wash it. Take us out to wash it. Because we are just wired to exploit each other. Yes, sir. But that's why the church is so messed up. And because the church is so messed up, that's why society is so messed up. Because it's the responsibility for setting standard is with the church. Are you still here today? Yes, sir. Let's finish this scripture. We're back in 2 Thessalonians 3. We're in 6 or 7 now. Let's stay in the TPT. For you know very well that you should order your lives after our example. That's very clear. Because we were not, talk to me church, we were not undisciplined when we were with you. As the apostles boast. We were not on this. We didn't leave anyhow. Keep going. Verse 8. We didn't sponge off of you. The message. We didn't sit around on our hands expecting others to take care of us. NLT. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. 
We worked hard night and day, day and night, so that we will not be a burden to any of you. Do not confuse this with pastoral goodwill that they are entitled to. He's saying, I did not ask anybody to supply food to me and I did not pay. Not saying I did not eat anybody's food without paying. Does that make sense? So now Jonas brings me rice and I say, no, I must pay you for this rice. That's what he's saying. I didn't take anybody's thing. Go back to the NTPT statement, does it? We didn't sponge off of you, but we worked hard night and day to provide our own food and lodging and not be a burden to any of you. Next verse. It wasn't because we don't have the right to be supported, but we wanted, listen to this carefully, and be the judge of this in the light of scripture and your example. But we wanted to provide you an example to follow. We did this to provide you an example to follow. Now, do, am I entitled to not work as a pastor and be looked after by the, especially at the level of my ministry delivery? But we haven't done so. Why? So you can have an example to follow. You then come. You are the one receiving spiritual blessing. And then you are the one who is also taking material stuff from those who are working to support you. You are antichrist. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Provided you an example to follow. Keep going. We're going all the way to verse 18. 10. I'm done. Once I finish this, I'm done. Yes. For when we were with you, we instructed you with these words. Hear this carefully. Anyone who does not want to work for a living should go hungry. Who said this? In what covenant? In what era? Who did he tell? The church. Last part of verse 10. The message. Don't you remember the rule we had when we lived with you? If you don't work, NLT. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. For while we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. He who does not work should not eat. Mm-hmm. So it turns out church is not for handouts. It's not. It's not for handouts. Verse 11. Now, we hear rumors that some of you are being lazy and neglecting to work. That these people are not busy, but busybody. The message. Verse 11. And now we're getting reports that a bunch of lazy, good-for-nothings are taking advantage of you. Again, what testament is this? I'm hoping that you guys can reflect as a church, as individuals, because it's what we have taught that will hold you responsible for. You don't have to be in a particular local church. You don't. You can't be there on your own terms. I've always said if we fall, we fall forward. Going ahead to do what God has called us to do. Because if you're going forward, you don't fall sideways. You don't fall in the opposite direction of where you're traveling. Think about it. If you're traveling forward you, if, and you trip, in what direction are you tripping? If God will help a man, if God will help a man, he will send him his word. The word can't do it. There's nothing else that can. If you change yourself, you are messed up. If a marriage changed you, you are messed up. If a job made you better, you are messed up. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If a change of location made you better, you are messed up. Because the only change that is sustainable is the change that happens by the word. 
The only change that is sustainable is the change that happens by the word. Hear the word of God. It comes alive in your inside. It changes how you act. That's change. Changing because you got tired of fighting. That's not change. Changing because you went. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You went abroad. You will still look for a place to we against the wall. Until the police carries you from there. Because you were weeing under a CCTV. That's when you will understand. Why? Because you changed location. You didn't change paradigm. You didn't change mindset. You didn't change paradigm. You just changed location. So you stand and then just find somewhere and want to speak. Health and safety workers will tell you what's going on with you. Does that make sense? Somebody's serving you and they're not washing their hands or they're not wearing gloves. You're the one that will stand there and make noise until the police will come there. And shut the place down. We see a cockroach on your worktop. Cockroach. Your business is shut down. It is shut down. Change that is sustainable only comes by God's word. Does that make sense? Taking advantage of you, verse 12. This must not be, this must not. We command them, that's a strong word. We command them to get to work immediately. No excuses, no arguments, and earn their own keep. TPT verse 12. So with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, we order them to get back to work in an orderly fashion and exhort them to earn their own living. And I'm not going to teach on money. It's not my assignment. But there's so much you can do to earn money. Nigeria is surrounded in a lot of virgin possibilities. There's a lot you can do to earn money. Even as a student, there's a lot you can do. You can, you can test stuff, software. You can do a lot of stuff online. If you have a smartphone, you have a great advantage to earn money. And I'm not talking about network marketing. I'm not talking about cryptocurrency. There's a lot of things you can do for money. You're good at writing, good at reading. You can be a ghostwriter. You can be a proofreader. There's a lot you can do. You can, you're good with your hands. Put it to use. Get something. The problem we have is that nobody wants to do anything that will grow. You want it to yield now. Nobody wants to sustain something enough to grow. You know why? Because you are working or doing a business to survive, not to succeed. There's a difference between doing a business or anything to survive and doing it to succeed. That was for free. Just so you don't think that we don't have what to preach. You do need to eat. What you're going to eat now. Now, 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 now. But to nurture something. No, your family yourself will come after you. How many oil have you sold? Three. Bring now. They're not interested in your capital. They're not interested in you. So you finish selling something and you don't have what it takes to restock. Because everybody has taken it. Your family is taking it. Mm-hmm. 
But everybody can do something and keep at it long enough. Problem is you drive this one, it doesn't work in two months, you've changed. I, I'm not doing that one again, no, I'm doing this one. I'm not doing hair, I'm, no, I'm doing hair. I'm not doing hair, I'm doing makeup. Everybody's doing makeup. Everybody's doing makeup or fashion design. Everybody. There's nothing else to do. So you think. And by all means, chase your dream. That's what it is. Chase your dream. But the point is, don't be so narrow-minded. The country is already narrow-minded enough. Does that make sense? It's narrow-minded enough. 13. Take special note of anyone who won't obey what we have written. And do what? Is that clear enough? So that they would be ashamed and get turned around. In other words, your staying away from them is for their own good. So we turn you around so that you can come into sanity. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The church of Jesus is big on church discipline. We must be a disciplined church. When there's a need as a church, we know that need. We ascertain the level and the gravity of that need. The church doesn't exist as an endless bank to meet your every desire, women caprice. The church doesn't exist to give you a way out of consequence for your actions or inactions. The church doesn't exist to fix your wrong business decisions. The church doesn't exist to be a guarantor for your failed loans. The church exists to be the pillar and ground of truth and teach you to come into the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. The perfect man, complete, lacking, nothing. That's our place. Gives you an atmosphere and a platform to manifest and grow in the manifestation of spirituals. Gives you an enabling environment to work worthy of your calling. The church is not material in its intent. Are you hearing me now? The church is not material in its intent. In other words, the purpose of the church is not to meet your material needs. It's not. You don't see that in scripture. Do we cater to the welfare of the saints? Absolutely, as the Lord makes provision. As we determine the level of the needs. But the church is not where you go knocking every time you have a need. Such that you get upset when your need is not met. You will hit your head against a wall. Are you receiving instruction today? That's not the church that we're imitating. Do we help? Yes. You now get angry that we didn't give you 10,000 to register four courses. You will deregister yourself. Because we're not, where are we getting money from? You're barely giving to keep the church running. So where do you expect us to get money from? So most times when there's a need, we rally around and some of you can't even show gratitude. You wanted 10 grand, you got 3 grand or 4 grand. You're like, ah, this is only for, this is 3,000 they gave me. Yeah, I, was, I was hoping that, I was expecting that they will. Wow. So have you been instructed? Yes, sir.
I'm not one more verse, verse 17 and 18. 18. Be ashamed and get turned around. Next verse. Yet don't regard them as enemies. Go back to 14. 14. Take special note of anyone who won't obey what we've written and stay away from them so that they would be ashamed and get turned around. Yet don't regard them as enemies. But caution them as fellow believers. So you see what we're doing is scriptural. What we're doing is doctrinally correct. Go on. Now, may the Lord himself, the Lord of peace, pour into you his peace in every circumstance and in every possible way. The Lord's tangible presence is with you. B is in italics. All. 17. So now, in my own handwriting, I add these words. Loving greetings to each of you. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. All. Paul. The above is my signature. So it was a physical scroll that Paul put his personal signet ring or signature on it and says, I, Paul, authorize this. The above is my signature and the token of authenticity in every letter I write. Switch to New King James. I, the salutation of Paul, with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. So this wasn't somebody impersonating Paul such that we can say somebody was teaching something that Paul did not teach and trying to append Paul's authorship to it. Paul takes time after having taught these heavy things in his letters to authenticate it and say it's coming from me. That's what makes it authority. That's what makes it scripture to us. Now, so what we have shared with you guys is what comes from Paul as authenticated by himself. To disregard it is to disregard the writings of the very person who lays out the gospel by which you say you are saved. And you can't pick and choose. Next episode of, 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 of Imitate will look at how the church of Jesus Christ is selfless. He follows off from this point. The church of Jesus is selfless. She's not conceited. And until we get into the practicalities of this, man, 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 we want to be a church that practices the word of God. That's the desire. That's the desire. That's what we're imitating. Paul says we did this so that you will have an example to follow. After a teaching like this, the level of responsibility and accountability required from the church is heightened. So this is a clear-cut clarion call that you be held responsible on the basis of God's word. There are deeper things to do with time in ministry. Than settling nonsense squabbles among believers. Do you understand? Yes, sir. There's people whose lives are literally on the line. So I repeat, this is a clear-cut public warning to the church. That's the whole essence of church discipline. Church discipline is done in love. Does that make sense? The very essence of church discipline should be undergirded in love. Because restoration is the viewpoint. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. 
So now the Lord brings these things and we teach them so that everybody understands that in church there's all kinds. You know, the, the, the master says, let the wheat and tars grow together till harvest. Don't assume that everybody's in church for the same reason you're here, that you're here. Don't assume that. As a pastor, I never make that assumption. Don't assume everybody's heart is in the same place as yours. Let the wheat and tars grow together till harvest. Then remove the tars and burn. And then gather the wheat into the barn. The word of God comes. As the word is coming, it is transforming. It's not that you take the word and go home and let the word transform you. It is that at the point of entry, as the word is coming in, it is shifting systems and transforming you. Such that you're not even supposed to have realized that you left a meeting transformed. It is sad to have to promise in church meetings that at the end of this service, your life will never remain the same. It is sad that we have to say it. It's not something we have to say because that's supposed to be the, the status quo. We don't, it's not something we announce. It's at, the, at the end of this meeting, I believe God. I'm praying your life will not be the same again. Every time the word comes, your life should change. Whether in an organized meeting, in a one-to-one, in a chat, every time the word comes, it should transform you. Such that you have to, you're not trying to be transformed, you are realizing you were transformed. Does that make sense? You're not trying to apply the word. You are, the moment, the point to which you are open to the reception of God's word is the measure to which it is transforming you instantly. And you walk away realizing you were transformed. And realizing you cannot go back to things the way you used to do them. That's how you know you encountered the word. Not when you are moved and feel goose pimples. Not when we end the message with bow down your heads and let's pray. No, when we end the message, you start to speak to the Lord and take this word into your life. That's all religion. Who says we must start it with a prayer? Who says we must end it with a prayer? Because most times we're trying to evoke a response, a human response. That's why when we end the meeting, some of you are looking around. Because it didn't end the way a religious meeting is known to end the grace. The goodness, the confession or declaration, the benediction. So you're not sure, have we closed? Have we not closed? Until you see us off in the light. That's all religion. Because we want to make you respond. So we can feel that, oh, we preached well. Does that make sense? We want to make you cry so we can feel like, ah, you are convicted. Or make you jump around so we can feel like you're encouraged. I don't have time for that nonsense. It's the word of God, not the person. The word of God is coming. He is transforming you. He is transforming you. That's what I've said over and over. Don't ever be sitting under teaching and respond like you know what is being taught. There is a natural posture for ministry. There's a default posture for ministry. And that posture does not demonize or degrade or put anybody under pressure who is ministry. At best, the writer says, test all spirits. It doesn't say insult and embarrass all spirits. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's irresponsible. Somebody's asking a question. Let them ask. Every intelligent answer came from a stupid question. Let them ask. You asked worse questions. Maybe the word of Christ in your mouth, but it's not the spirit of Christ in your heart. Because it's not unruly. He's a spirit of love. He, information is passed. Knowledge is passed. Instruction is passed that somebody will grow. Not that somebody will cry. Not that somebody will be intimidated. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? We're trying to run a healthy church. Did you hear me? Yes, sir. What kind of church? Not large church. If it grows large as it is healthy, fine. If it grows rich as it is healthy, fantastic. But the New Testament church is meant to be a healthy church. Not necessarily a populated church. Church growth is in church health. So let's cut all the noise. Let's be sons of God indeed. Let's encourage the work. We can't be dealing with little, little, canal things. The gospel builds, remember? It edifies. Strengthens. Now to him, Romans 16, 25, who is able to establish you by my gospel and by the preaching of Christ Jesus. What does the gospel do? Establishes you. Right? Right? Not destabilizes you. The law did that. Grace establishes you. The gospel establishes you. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? So it's crunch time. That's why we're different. That's why you have plenty choices to make. But I'm deliberate about building a particular breed of people. A new breed without greed. That's what drives me. And I want to look around and see a room full of people and feel like, oh, church was good today. I will never see that day. Church was great. The place was full. How? Church was fantastic. Those are just little minute elements. You cannot be here and refuse to grow. You can only choose to not be here. You cannot be here and choose to not grow. You can only choose to not be here. I can only but teach the gospel and hope that Christ is formed. That's all I can do. Because if the word won't change you, nothing else will. Whatever change you encounter that is not based on God's word is false. It's false. Makes the church look terrible. Makes the gospel, most importantly, look terrible discredits the gospel at least in appearance but that's not our portion we're not continuing like that we're receiving the wording enough clarity to inform a change enough clarity to inform a change let that be what drives us guys our worship our service our love 
our companionship, our fellowship, our teaching, our receiving of teaching, our influencing people. Don't talk if you're not edifying. I've said that over and over. Don't keep your mouth shut if you're not edifying. If what you say will cause somebody else to stumble, then you are responsible for that. Don't say anything. If you will come and your body language is such that, you know, all of us can be sick. Some of us can learn to carry your body well as part of your sickness. Show up in a meeting, galvanize every iota of the grace of God. Every iota, such that if your body gives way, the entire church knows that you put up a fight. Does that make sense? Not that you arrive and you're all morose and all pitiable and everybody knows something's off with this one today. And then it distracts the worship, distracts the word, distracts first-timers. It just, because just, just this general feeling of discomfort that one person is generating. The whole meeting becomes about you. You become the God that took the worship of the meeting. If you know anything about me, I do everything possible to be inconspicuous. I don't arrive and look for front seat. I don't arrive and make noise. I don't like drawing attention. Let the word do the attention drawing. Let the word that is being spoken be what comes through. Is this practical enough for you to understand? So that safety can return to church. If we're not safe in church, we're not safe anywhere else. And I've said over and over, if the church is not safe, the nation is not safe. The nation burns if the church is not safe. If we're not filtered in our speech, we're not deliberating our actions, we don't respect and honor each other, we don't think that the word of God cascades to our business relationships. You look at someone and you speak to them violently. You think you're having a joke. You disparage someone. Talk about a preacher. And you don't have doctrinal basis to be an apologetic for what you're laughing at. If I put you and say, come and speak and defend what you are attacking. You can't. Those of us who can, haven't. Are you, are, you, are you hearing me? Yes, sir. Because all you owe the church is to grow, not to fight. Disciple, all you owe the church is to? Grow. Nobody called you to fight for the gospel. Grow. Gain stability. Let that stability trans- cascade into your everyday life. Romans 12, 1. Message. I wanted to see message. I've showed this, this scripture before in the message. So here's what I want you to do. Paul tells the church. God helping you. Let's read together. One to go. You see how practical that is? Just take your everyday ordinary life and make it God's. Just give it to him. God in your business, right? God in your relationship. God in your communication. God in your interaction. God in your speech. God in your thought. God in your deed. That's when he is your everything. 
There's too much disjointedness and hurt in the body. There's too much. It's palpable. If you're sensitive, you can touch it. It's too much disjointness, too much dishonor. People are serving and bleeding. That's not what Jesus did. Let's uphold what Jesus did. Let's uphold what Jesus did. Don't let liberty get into your head. Let's, let's get this thing straight. And if you if have a hurt in your heart, release it. Trust and have faith and hope in today's teaching for a better church. Is that alright? And release it. If you said a word or something that was out of line, that was disrespectful, dishonorable of the church and doctrine, we forgive you. Forgiveness is a given. No believer has the right to withhold forgiveness. So we all stand forgiven. All of us. But let if you're hurting, let it go. We're too unruly. Too unruly. We're too insensitive. We don't have the compassion of Jesus. And that's what we're teaching. People who have served and worked. To whom much is given. Much is expected. And we expect and demand it now. We expect and demand it now. And that's why I'm speaking as I'm speaking. Lest somebody gets up and misrepresents the gospel we are preaching. The gospel is order. It's not confusion. The gospel is better promised. Not worse off than the law. Hello? It's a covenant founded on better promises. Better promises. And the church is not growing, not because it's not on the right diet, but because it doesn't want to change its taste. Take what you're fed. Eat it. See the fruit. The gospel demands responsibility of us. Christ's consciousness demands responsibility of us. Imitating Jesus demands responsibility of us. Let's grow. That's the goal anyway. Christ is formed. Otherwise, let's not be like every other people that gather on a Sunday and nothing changes. That's sad. That's really sad. That's really sad. We just gather and have a nice time and sing a few songs, you know, preach a message that is fantastic and sweet. And then we're done till next Sunday. No, we can stay at home. There's no point. Or we will be the church that Jesus died for. At whatever cost. We're either that church or there's no need for church. Either that church or there's no need for church. I've done too much of religion to open another branch of it. Is anybody in agreement with me? I've done too much of religion. Too much. We have done too much to be operating another parish of it. I refuse. I refuse. We have paid too much price to be doing another of the same. Why do we leave then? Why do we take on the establishment? 
Why do we take our religion head on? If we're going to end up being like everything that we are lifting up the standard of God's word against. Then we are of all men most miserable. I won't do it. We are called to set it straight. Not to enable it. We're called to set it straight. Not to enable it. I love family. I love friends. I love a good time. I love fun. But man, I'm in love with him that is in love with me. My entire life is to please him. Daily. Every way that I can. With everything I have. Whatever, I, whatever I'm worth. If you read a message and you're not disposed, tell the person, can I come back to you? Don't say something you will regret. Don't say something and come back the next day and say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean what I said yesterday. You could have afforded to not say it. Do you understand? Learn to de-escalate situations. Learn to let the Spirit of God lead you. Learn to let the Word of God that you pay attention to be able to shift you. Honor the Word of God. Because if you don't honor it, it won't work in you. Place premium on the Word of God. Better is spoken of us. It will be well. Hmm. <laughs> It will be well. We're walking into the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. But we can't indulge flesh along the way. We can't make excuses for the flesh. It's pointless. Father, here is us. Naked. Before you. We're not going to pretend. We're not going to mince words. We're not going to cut corners. Your word has come in great measure. And we understand that it, it appears as though we are marching to a different tune. That's because we are. The tune of the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the practice thereof in our lives. We see you for who you are. We see you for who you are. We cease to struggle with you. We cease to rationalize our actions even when we know clearly that they're not in line with your word. Because you see, the thing is, your spirit always tells us. Yeah. Always. There's not a single person that can say there is not the inward witness in them when something is said inappropriately or done inappropriately. We're the ones who ignore or excuse away for whatever reasons, no matter how valid they may be. Emotional, sentimental, psychological, age, rationale, gender, men putting down women. Women segregating themselves from men. Whatever reasons. But that reason does not include the fact that we do not hear from you. Because your spirit always convicts us. And we repent of negligence. We repent of convenience. We repent of nonchalance. We repent of indiscipline. We repent of distractions. So many. We repent of pride. Thinking that we know. Thinking at any point that we are better than those that we now know more than. Because that is not the spirit of Christ. We sing of him that leaves the 99 and chases down the one. And yet we do the same thing in the opposite. We beat down the ones that are here. And we run down the one out there. That's not your spirit. And we desist from it. 
we grow. We are hell-bent on doing your word, Lord, and we, we hope that everyone grows. We love each other, Lord. We're family. We actually do love each other. We have funny ways of showing it. <laughs> but we love each other. Help that that love is as regulated by your love for us. In other words, purify what we think our love is. Purify our concept of love. And enthrone your concept of love. Take away every struggle. We yield. Struggle to serve. Struggle to be polite. Struggle to keep our word. Struggle to be trustworthy. Struggle to be dependable. Struggle to be submissive and accountable. Struggle to give. Struggle to honor. Struggle to humble ourselves. We ride on the wings of your grace. Now and always. We ride on the wings of your grace. Now and always. We ride on the wings of your grace. Now and always. Let us not be found doing anything by our own capacity. Let us not be found doing anything by our own knowledge and strength. Let us always be found depending heavily on your grace. Heavily on your grace without which we're just a hopeless case. An empty place. We thank you for the entrance of your word. We thank you for the entrance of your word. We thank you for the entrance of your word. And we therefore receive a new day, a new page, a new dispensation, a new chapter. We thank you that evil will not have a chance to rear its head. Dissensions, strifes, carnality, emotional reactions to spiritual truths all wither and die. Christ is on display. We thank you for it. Amen. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.